Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I am your hostess with the mostest. My name is Rocky. Diego's name is Diego. And we are talking about House of Gucci. Woo! <laughs> House of Gucci. House of Gucci, right? And I, what, um, what sort of compelled you to, to see House of Gucci? What was your, what, what was your hook for the, for the film? I simply needed something to do over Thanksgiving break and Lady Gaga looked like it was going to, it looked like it was going to be at least entertaining somewhat. Sure. Watch. sure. Um, there were parts of it that were entertaining. I can say that. Yeah. I, um, I guess it was a similar thing for me. I've obviously been aware of this film for a while because of, yeah. because of Gaga's involvement. It's been pretty high profile and um, yeah, when, you know, Thanksgiving break, I wanted to go and see something. I think I was going to see, King Richard, which I ended up seeing yesterday, but at the last moment I was like, you know what, I'm just going to see House of Gucci. <laughs> and uh, well, I guess we'll what get a, into what a picture into what we thought. What a picture! And it's and uh, and Patino said that I, yeah. I I think I think I liked it <laughs> just to start from that point. I love how uncertain you sound of it. Of it. I think so. <laughs> maybe I I. I have no idea. I've talked about, I've talked to like my friends back in college, like about this so many times. I don't know what I feel on it. My, like I'm thinking about this up until the moment I joined the Zoom call. I don't know what I think about this movie. It's mm-hmm. like, it feels like a six hour miniseries. Sure. That they decided to say, fuck it, one movie. <laughs> and not like, just really push it down, cut out a bunch of shit and make this very strange yet so incredibly long movie. Yeah, there's definitely, there's always something else. And in, in terms of the miniseries qualities of it, it's just like every time you think you've got a handle on it, there's, there's just, it just goes in a new direction. I feel like I saw two movies over Thanksgiving break. I saw this and French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those movies have very weird things that they're pacing where like French Dispatch, it's not that long, but it feels a lot longer than it actually is. And that's why I don't, I don't hate about that. This movie, it is long, and it manages to feel like so fucking longer than it really is. It <laughs> just went on forever. I went there with my mom and my stepmom, and it was um. My mom turned over to me and said, "Did they like hire Al Pacino for like a joke? Like why? Why are we watching this?" <laughs> she knows I like movies, so she's always like, "Hey, Diego, let's go see this movie." I'm like, "Okay," and I'm like. Mm-hmm. Mm, wish I said let's go see Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters has been a thing. Last week we talked about Jennifer's body, and I was like, Jennifer's I could talk to see the new Jason Reitman movie. There'd be there'd be something to put together there, but um, I still haven't seen it. I might see this. Weekend. I, I, like I did see it. Kind of I thought it was I thought it was a fine film. It was it was a picture. It was a interesting, very like Star Wars Force Awakens. I see that. Yeah, to, for, you know, for all the. Um, I think rewriting of Jason Reitman's legacy that's happening right now. I think he's a good director. I like like the the vast majority of his movies. I have literally only seen Ghostbusters. <laughs> I <laughs> I am I'm a cinephile in progress. I'm, I'm working there. The balance out homework. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this um so God, this movie. <laughs> there's a lot to get into, and hopefully by the end there of this episode, is. we can sort of have a clearer idea of just what we feel about it. <laughs> figure out if I actually liked watching it. But before we get into it, um, 
there is a, a segment we like to do at the beginning of the show called oh. dun, 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 What's Pulpin', where we go into uh, the latest in pop culture, things that either aren't being talked about or that I have takes on or that I think there's, you know, just just, just the, the pop culture news. And one of the big things that's happened since our last episode is that the uh, Grammy nominations came out. Yes, I've heard of this. I've heard of the Grammys before. Heard of the Grammys, yes. Are you a music uh are you a music listener at all? I, I, I do listen to music. I, I got my Spotify rap today. I felt like I was getting hate crimes, but I got it. Yeah, let's start with that, actually. How what uh, how did that work out for you? I'm pulling up the images on my phone. I, let me see. Top Spotify artist, Doja Cat. Number two, Nat King Cole. Number three, Lil Nas X. <laughs> okay. A weird little sandwich there. I listen to jazz sometimes <laughs> when, I go, when I try to sleep. And um, apparently they had a lot more of an effect than I thought it did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was uh, definitely. What is this graphic design? Like the the weird, like for the the, top. the genre graphic. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's a lot. It's <laughs> my number five of the classic rock, and I could not fucking read it. Yeah, I my my number four is alternative R and B, and it's really <laughs> it's like there. one pixel length <laughs> letters. It's it's an interesting choice. It's also a bad choice. But there's also like the the background already is doing something, and this is so different from what the everything rest of it is, is just doing. very bright. I understand the aesthetic choice at the same time. Dear God, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I've seen very little of the Grammys. I'm not like a giant music person. <laughs> I listen sure. to it. I don't know much about it or the drama, the the gossip. But we'll go into the uh, the sort of general categories and some of the things that people are talking about. What I was going to say about my Spotify rap real quick. My number one artist was Kanye, which makes sense because Kanye is often my number one artist and he did put out an album this year. So I was told that I'm in the top 16% of Kanye listeners, which isn't very high, but it also said that I listened to 138 minutes of Kanye and his album is 108 minutes long. <laughs> so if I'm in the top 16%. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of Kanye to listen to. It's a... Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the rest of my top five is uh, Ali and AJ, who mm-hmm. put out an amazing album this year. Uh, the Network, which is a Green Day side project that put out a great album at the end of last year. I guess that counted towards this year because it was whatever. Dua Lipa, who was mm-hmm. also like two or three last year, and The Killers. Nice. Which, you know, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good assortment there. I like my playlist a lot, actually. There's a lot of, a lot of bangers on there. Yeah, I think I, I like my playlist too. It's mostly just all the shit I just listen to repeat because it makes my brain happy. Yeah, my top five, I was very much like, like it's funny because like Weezer's on there and shit, but also <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, yeah, these are the five. My number one song was Everybody Loves Somebody by Dean Martin, which I guess just played 20 times per night when I was sleeping. I don't remember listening to it that much. Yeah, my number one was uh, Lover Lust by 24K Golden, which is a, a silly little song that I was obsessed with for a couple months this year. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's, um, that, that will do it. That adds up. So the Grammys. Um, yes, Grammys. I'm just looking at what are the interesting things about this year at the Grammys is that they normally in the major categories, the like album of the year, record of the year, best new artist categories, they do um, eight nominees. And this year at the last minute, they decided to expand it to 10. So (laughs) there are a lot of nominees, first of all, but also we do know in each of those categories, which two were added 
by this <laughs> shift <laughs> that they decided to do. It's kind of obvious which ones are kind of like. Mm. Well, it's pretty surprising, actually. The uh, mm. the Record of the Year nominees, which, to be clear, there's Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Those are both to songs, but Record of the Year is to the artists and the producers and Song of the Year is to the songwriters. I see. So the Record of the Year nominees are I Still Have Faith in You by ABBA, Freedom by John Baptiste, I Get a Kick Out of You by Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, Peaches by Justin Bieber, Right on Time by Brandy Carlisle, Kiss Me More by Doja Cat, Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X, Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo, and Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. Why is Justin Bieber still working? Well, <laughs> just what do you think? Just what do you think he's out? They keep pulling him back in. You know? I, I he fucking had a, guess. He had a really dismal... Do we need Justin Bieber? Uh, was that? Do we need Justin Bieber as a society anymore? Really, do we? Definitely, like, we're at a point where there are enough... Because for a lot of the tens, he was like the the guy in pop music. He was like the the male pop star of like the the you know Kesha, Lady Gaga, early tens era. And yeah. now it's like now we have you know you know for a while it was everyone was too stodgy, but now we got like uh, Lil Nas X, obviously, and um, yeah, I don't know, Post Malone. <laughs> like he's outlived his usefulness. You can just Definitely. drag him out. He's still kicking. I've heard his song that the one that was like nominated once, and I just. Mm-hmm. said yeah that's music <laughs> like yeah. that's objectively music yeah it's not bad but like it's music grammy worthy <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm happy abba got nominated i'm i'm very glad I, ha- I haven't gotten the opportunity to listen to the new album yet but i'm very glad they're making more music there's a song on the album that's called keep an eye on dan and it's a it's a really good song, but also just in terms of the title, I think it, it gets very high marks just for that. That's an amazing title. That's more songs yeah. should be just be sentences. Yeah, keep an eye on Dan. <laughs> more song titles should be instructions. Yeah, long and detailed instructions. <laughs> the two songs out of those ten that were added by this rule change were "I Still Have Faith in You" by ABBA, which this is ABBA's first Grammy nomination ever. Really. Yeah. Criminal. I'm going back in time. <laughs> and Call Me By Your Name <laughs> was also hmm. added because of the because of the rule change. Interesting. So you're saying they had Justin Bieber in there in the first place. I, that would, they did, would have been yeah. the thing that they would that I thought they would throw in last minute. Yeah, I mean that song that, that song was a hit, and you know, there's like I, I wouldn't I wasn't surprised to see it nominated. I was I was certainly more surprised when Bieber was nominated uh, last year, not in the major categories, but when Yummy got like a uh, oh, oh, performance Carl, nomination or whatever. Song. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like being reminded of anything that happened last year. Sure. So <laughs> the uh, the best new artist category, the nominees in that one are Aruj Aftab, Jimmy Allen, Baby Keem. Phineas, Glass Animals, Japanese Breakfast, The Kid Leroy, Arlo Parks, Olivia Rodrigo, and Sweetie. I know one of, oh wait, no, I know two of these people. Sure. <laughs> Everyone else sound like randomly generated words. Yeah, there's some, uh, th- there were a few obscure ones in here. Aru Jaftab, I guess, uh, got a, a lot of nominations in the quote-unquote world music category or whatever where they just throw like any any other any countries that haven't otherwise been mentioned but um jimmy allen's country baby keem is baby keem's great phineas obviously billy eilish's brother therefore has already won a grammy but i guess he's a new artist this year 
uh, Glass Animals had they had a very big hit this year. Um, I wouldn't. Uh, oh yeah, I, I've seen them on TikTok. They definitely have expanded this year. They've been around for a while, but yeah, Japanese Breakfast, Kid Leroy had a hit with Bieber. Uh, Arlo Parks, big in the in that like kind of neo folk uh, indie R and B zone. Uh, Livia Rodrigo and Sweetie uh, makes sense. Yeah, those two make sense. Those those were the two I knew. <laughs> So that made sense to me. Yeah. Everything else sounds like gibberish. And the additions from the rule change were Aru Jaftab and Baby Keem. I, um, especially, I guess Sweetie is, I, I was going to say that, you know, there, there are relatively few rappers on this list. And I would have thought that Baby Keem j- j- just, you know, by, by virtue of the prevalence of hip hop, I would think that, I would think that Baby Keem would um, have been on there, but there was not, not too many surprises there. Song of the year. And I'd like to, Try and get a couple guesses from you, maybe, about which ones were... Right. Okay, I'm taking the like vague knowledge I know of just seeing Twitter when the nominations dropped and trying to just guess. Well, we're building up to uh, Album of the Year, which is going to be the uh, the, the sort of piece de resistance and okay. this whole thing, but I'll go through the nominees here. Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran, A Beautiful Noise by Alicia Keys and Brandy Carlisle, Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo, Fight for You by Her, Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, Kiss Me More by Doja Cat, Leave the Door Open by Silt Sonic, Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X, Peaches by Justin Bieber, and Right On Time by Brandi Carlile. Why is he here again? Why do we need him? He keeps I could also say the same there. thing about fucking Ed Sheeran too, but... Yeah, especially especially Bad Habits. Like, there were songs that I liked on that album, and um, first of all, just that album, album. it didn't do much. Um, but but Bad Habits, I've, I've not not heard of anyone saying they like that song. But do you have any guess, ideas as to which two of those might have been um, additions? I want to say, I want to say Bad Habits, because that... Sh- that I don't know. That makes sense to me. And if it isn't, I think it will hurt something in my soul that they put Ed first from some of these songs. Um, what were the other ones? Beautiful Noise by Alicia Keys and Brandy Carlisle. Driver's License, Fight for You by Her. Happier Than Ever, Kiss Me More, Leave the Door Open, Call Me By Your Name, Peaches, and Right On Time by Brandy Carlisle. I'm just going to pick one. Uh, leave the Door Open. Well, uh... <laughs> I can't wait to be That's... Get all of this wrong. This is going to be fun. No, you're over two. You're over oh, two so yeah, far. Makes the, sense. Um, the, the two were Kiss Me More by Doja Cat and Right on Time by Brandy Carlisle. Okay. Yes. Yeah, see, I I, I don't yeah. I know nothing about music. So this is honestly the fact that I haven't burst into flames just hearing all these titles has, you know, it's good. Growing as a person. I'm learning. Well, let's go over album of the year and see if you can get a good guess in as to which two were not on the original list. We Are by John Baptiste. Love for Sale by Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Tony Bennett, by the way, is the holds the Guinness World Record, first of all, for the oldest person to release an album of new music because of this album. Also, the second oldest person ever nominated for a Grammy. Um, Justice by Justin Bieber. This is the, the deluxe version. Planet Her by Doja Cat, also the deluxe version. Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish. Back of My Mind by Her. Montero by Lil Nas X. Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Evermore by Taylor Swift and Donda by Kanye West. Okay. Which one were I'm sure the added? I feel like just that's a trend. I think Doja Cat was added. And Okay. Um I have no functional memory, Jesus Christ. Um I'll go through them one more time here. Please John do. John Baptiste, Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, 
Doja Cat, Billie Eilish, Her, Lil Nas X, Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift, and Kanye West. Uh, was it Her? The two albums that were added to the 10 by this last minute rule change were Evermore by Taylor Swift and Donda by Kanye West. I'm a movie person <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> I am a film major. I don't need to know things. It's- it's kind of nuts. One of the things that people talked about is that Taylor Swift was not really nominated in any of the other categories for Evermore. I don't think Evermore is her best work. There's definitely some good tracks on there, but um, the, the fact that Taylor Swift and Kanye were the two people added to the to that album of the year category. That's what threw me off. Because that that they seem like two people who they wouldn't leave off in the first place. So I saw, no. I heard their names and I was like, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift has won album of the year like four times in the past 10 years. Jesus. Kanye has like the third most Grammy nominations of anyone. And they were both added. This is the first time that, again, again, Kanye has like 80 some Grammy nominations throughout his career. This is the first time that he's been nominated for album of the year since 2007. Wow. (laughs) That's shocking. Holy shit. That's the thing with the Grammys is there's so much shocking shit about it, but I feel like I'm very bad at predicting it just because like, I I don't know if anyone's good at predicting it, but I just feel like anything that you think is going to happen, the opposite thing happens. I wrote this whole thing going through the album of the year nominees in uh, 2017 and how it was like Bruno Mars and uh, Jay-Z and Lord and Kendrick. And it was just like, I was going through them all and I was like, Bruno Mars is not going to win. Anyone else is on the table. And then Bruno Mars won. And I adore that album. I think that's a perfect album. But I was like, there's no way that's winning album of the year at the Grammys. The Academy is anything but predictable. Indeed. Grammys, Oscars, they try to do what is going to piss people off the most, I think. Yeah, I have I, I consider myself pretty, pretty good at predicting the Oscars, but I guess I... Um haven't gotten us into weeds with the Grammys. (laughs) The thing with the Oscars is that it's always like, you're really predicting which two or three categories are not going to go to the ones everyone think it's going to go to. Yeah. And like, without fail, there will be surprises, but you've got to guess where they are. Yeah, I, I, oh God, the Oscars last year were so weird. This year, this, oh, it's still 2020. This year. Just 2021, right? That's the year we're in. 21. We're like right on the verge of being 2022. (laughs) Times blending together. Absolutely. So that was a uh, interesting Oscars. Pretty great. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> and they, some people definitely spoke. So speaking of movies, uh, the other big thing that uh, is pulping recently is that Nicolas Cage has been cast as Dracula in the forthcoming film Renfield. Nick Cage, amazing. He's I finally only is. good things can come from this. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, it, it's so perfect to have Nick Cage be Dracula that like you, you just put that out there and everyone's immediately like, you got it. You figured it Good. out. <laughs> Great casting. Which Dracula film is this? They're like 80. I'll go through them. Yeah. So this is the one. This is Renfield, which stars Nicholas Holt as Renfield. It's directed yes. by Chris McKay, who did uh, the Tomorrow War Lego Batman movie. I love Lego Batman movie. Yeah. Ryan Ridley, who was formerly a head writer on Rick and Morty in their first two or three seasons. Um, and yeah, this is a, a modern day set Renfield movie produced by Universal. I'm going to go through all the other Dracula movies <laughs> that are coming out because... You know, it sort of forms an image here. Mm-hmm. 
first of all, Last Voyage of the Demeter is a movie that's scheduled for January 2023. It has already finished filming. And it's <laughs> produced by Amblin. It's, it's directed by Andre Overdahl, who um, did Troll Hunter and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It stars Corey Hawkins, David Desmalchian, uh, Javier Botet, who played Slenderman in the movie Slenderman, who's playing Dracula. This film is just based on the Captain's Log chapter from the book. <laughs> just one chapter of the book. That's It's like the third Hobbit movie. <laughs> just Yeah, just one chapter. I'm... I'm... I think I think this is probably going to be really good. Oh <laughs> no, that sounds it's great. Kind of a... I like scary stories in the dark. I I think Javier Botet is an amazing monster actor. So I, not, Absolutely, that legitimately does seem good. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, it's coming I'm out uh, about a year from now. Fun. There's also uh, Chloe Zhao's Dracula movie, which she recently confirmed is her next project. That one is being produced by Universal, who are also producing the Renfield movie. And that one is a sci-fi Western. It's set in the future. And it's sort of exploring this idea of immortality and just putting Dracula in a completely different setting. Yeah, I'll see it. Yeah, I, absolutely. An interesting <laughs> premise. I I still, I haven't seen Nomad Land. I saw Eternals. I liked Eternals. Oh. I thought- I, I talked a, about Eternals. <laughs> yes, I remember, because that I tried to be on that podcast, but I reached out late. Exactly, yeah. With, with with Chloe Zhao, I there's there's something about her style that um, you know very unique, obviously, and you can see a lot of the ideas that she was trying to bring to the table in Eternals and the way she's talking about it. She's definitely trying to explore some of those same ideas with this Dracula movie. So I think having her have a little more freedom over the project and being able to kind of do what she wants with it, I think it's likely to turn into something good. Yeah, I I think it's the premise of sci-fi western Dracula is immediately like just. I will definitely watch. I don't care if it's like going to be good or bad. I'm going to be in theaters when it comes out opening night. I can yeah, guarantee she's been that. talked about this for years. So I, I think she's really, um, you she know, seems devoted. Absolutely. So another Dracula movie is being directed <laughs> by Corinne Kusama, the director of Jennifer's body, the film we talked about last week. And that's being produced for Blumhouse and universal so this is the um the third universal uh dracula film that we've covered thus far they're really milking those property rights do they even they don't even own dracula no no one owns dracula universal is really likes their draculas yeah well universal is known for their monsters obviously yes. and they've been they've been trying to bring that back for a long 2017 while so, the mummy classic piece of cinema they're just letting people throw it all out there. But yeah, the Karin Kusama Dracula has been described as a relatively faithful adaptation of the book. Okay. That's like so many goddamn Dracula movies. It's like... Yeah, well, we're not more. done. <laughs> There's more. There's more. There is more. I would say that as much as I think uh, Demeter is going to be good and as much as I think Nick Cage's Dracula is inspired, I feel like the current Kusama one is the one that I'm most excited for. Partially just because Kusama like doesn't release movies that often. And I, you know, I was like to see what she does. Fair. So what are the other, is there another Dracula movie? How many, how many more? There are two more. Two? Yeah. Jesus. So the Bride is a film in production by Screen Gems to be directed by Jessica M. Thompson, who did the Showtime series The End and the film The Light of the Moon. It's a contemporary horror about Dracula's 
Bride, uh, starring Natalie Emanuel and Thomas Doherty in undisclosed roles, probably as the Bride and Dracula. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's a, a smaller scale one that's on the way. And okay. finally, there's also a Van Helsing movie in development, directed by Julius Avery, who directed Overlord, and produced by James Wan and Universal. I will watch anything with James Wan's name on it. So yeah, I'm, for sure. I love the malignant. That was, oh, that was such a fun movie. Really good. I th- oh god, a Van, a Van Helsing film. That I'm thinking about the Hugh Jackman one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it can't get worse. You can't make a movie sure. worse than the original Van Helsing. So yeah, and Overlord's really good. I I, I think this is likely to be a, a good one as well. That sounds like a good combination. That that seems interesting. So that's like what mm-hmm. six Dracula films that are coming out in the next few years. I believe that's six Dracula films. Um, obviously, everything's about IP right now, and everyone's you know racing to bank off of some IP. And there's this idea that mm-hmm. you know people like Dracula, and there's been a trend towards the gothic in the past couple of years. I definitely think that. Um, I think part of it is just that like there are always a, like Dracula movies in development, yeah. and there are always filmmakers going to studios and being like, I want to do a Dracula movie. And it's just um, right now is a time post pandemic where projects are sort of getting back off the ground. And maybe this, that's the reason that a few of them are piling up right now. Yeah. Yeah. These have probably been in production for a while, but they kind of just got shut down during COVID. Now everything's thawing out and they're just letting everything loose. Yeah. There are the films that are on track and there are the films that were supposed to get made a long time ago. And there are the films mm-hmm. that uh, are just now being put out there and people love them because they know that a Dracula movie might make money. I mean, I would, I think I, I, I don't see all of these movies. So like, I can't sit Absolutely. here and say this is too many Dracula films. I'll go watch all of them. Absolutely. I, this is, this is a great amount of Dracula films. I'd be in the theater day one for half of these. Yeah. One thing that I do want to propose though I, I would really like to see, this is Nick Cage's first like big studio movie in a long time. And I would really like to see this next phase of Nick Cage's career be him as sort of a Bella Lugosi where he's just like, he is Universal's Dracula. And in like all four Universal Dracula movies that are being made, just put Nick Cage in all of them. Yeah, no, I, I entirely agree. Put Cage in more things in general. I think that's yeah. a strong argument. Just he's had like three or four great movies this year. Like, like yeah, like, that's what I've heard. Like figuring the, out what to do with it. Pig movie, I, th- I heard, is really good. Pig is great. Willy's Wonderland is really fun. I keep seeing that on Hulu. I want to watch it so bad. That's it's, like the, fri- the Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff, where he just shoots animatronic bears. Right. That's right. Amazing. Inspired. The other one, uh, Prisoners of the Ghost Land, is one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, he should be in more things. Yeah, and people should use him in more things, you know, because he's going to find something to do, but might as well be oh, yeah. something good. So House of Gucci. House of Gucci. As always, I have prepared a fair bit of history to go into before we get into the, the movie itself. And boy, is there history for this one. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to learn. <laughs> it all starts in the year 2000. Oh, dear God, 2000, <laughs> that's before I was born. <laughs> when journalist Sarah Gay Forden released the, the book, The House of Gucci, detailing the circumstances leading up to Maurizio Gucci's murder. That same year, Ridley Scott releases Gladiator, monster hit, sweeps award season, wins five Oscars, just a massive fucking thing. That movie 
features Italian Costa Rican actress Giannina Fascio as Maximus's wife. Fascio has become a staple of Ridley Scott movies by this point. They would later marry in 2015, and she has become interested in producing a movie about the Gucci's. Patrizia Gucci, that's Paolo's daughter, says that Fascio reached out to her and other members of the Gucci family in the early 2000s to discuss a film that would largely focus on Aldo and Paolo's building of the brand into a global fashion player. Empire indeed reports that as of 2006, the movie was going to primarily be about Aldo Gucci. Listen, I'd be entirely down for a film featuring Al Pacino's Aldo. I'd, I'd be yeah. down for an entire television show of that. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm liking what we're talking about right now. This goes on for a few years. Fascio brings the project to Ridley. Ridley likes it. They bring it to Paramount. Paramount likes it. And in 2006, they announced that they're going for it with Andrea Burloff writing the script. Now, Andrea Burloff uh, is a relative newcomer at this point in the game. She caught Paramount's attention for her script for World Trade Center, which Oliver Stone directed the previous year. She's most known for uh, Straight Outta Compton. That was um, the big film mm. that she wrote. And more recently, The Kitchen, which was a pretty poorly received film that she did. I'm recently. sure these are all movies. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> in 2007, Ridley Scott's still working on American Gangster. Paramount puts the Gucci movie in turnaround. They're, you know, not interested. It gets picked up by Fox 2000, brought on by executive Carla Hacken, who had just done The Devil Wears Prada, is looking for another big fashion movie. And in December of 2007, Fox, Fox announces that the project is on its way and that Charles Randolph, another newcomer, who was known for writing Sidney Pollack's final film, The Interpreter, in 2005, would begin writing as soon as the writer's strike ended. Oh, right. We're still in the writer's strike. Oh, okay. By this time, it's confirmed that the movie is going to focus on Maurizio Gucci and his murder. Okay. So we've already done like a big divergence from what the original plan was. Yeah. A already. big shift in this, in this one year here. Yeah. <laughs> the way that Ridley Scott like works is that he's, he's always got the next track of like three projects lined up. So mm -hmm. for instance, he just put out two movies in the past month and now he's shooting a Napoleon biopic with, with Joaquin Phoenix in January. He's going to get that fucking Oscar one of these days. I mean, he's, he... <laughs> one of he's he... going to keep going for it. <laughs> he's, he's trying so hard. I hope everyone in this film gets and wins an Oscar except Ridley. Cause I think that'd be the funniest possible outcome. Does he deserve it by now? Probably. Would it be the still the most funny outcome? Yeah, I, everyone wins except for me. And he's already announced that after the Napoleon movie, he's going to be working on a sequel to Gladiator. So... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Doesn't he still have like he's... an alien to make? Doesn't, what happened to like the Prometheus bullshit? Yeah, I think he's doing like a series with that. And then he's also doing a Blade Runner series, maybe. Really, stay on track, buddy. <laughs> Like five different yeah. things, bud. It was the same thing at this time where Ridley has just put out American Gangster when Fox takes on Gucci and he's already working on Body of Lies. And so in late 2009, he announces that he intends to begin work on Gucci as soon as he's done with Robin Hood. And around this time, rumors are swirling that Angelina Jolie and Leonardo DiCaprio are being courted for the lead roles of Patrizia and Maurizio. I might, I think I might have liked that movie a little better. At, at least be purely good. from the Maurizio part. <laughs> Because I think Leo would have been interesting for that role. Leo would have been a very interesting Maurizio. And I think that I think that Driver's great and Driver conveys a lot of that like um, 
kind of stiffness about Maurizio. That's that's an interesting thing, but I think you'd get something a little more unhinged with Leo. <laughs> that would have been interesting. I will say I don't like particularly like Adam Driver. I have I've really only seen him in the Star Wars's, so that's probably not a great jumping off point for his acting skill. I thought it was fine in this. He mm. he he definitely acted. I've heard the sex scene was great. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I took off my glasses when I was in the theaters when it came on, but sure. I I I love Driver. I've um I've been with him for a while. I honestly think that he had uh one of the one of the better performances in those in those Star Wars movies. But it was definitely pretty good. I mean, yeah, he didn't have a whole lot to compete with. <laughs> Half of the cast didn't feel like they were doing anything. There's kind of yeah. He sort of there. He he got a lot of spotlight in those in those movies. That's for mm-hmm. sure. So at this same time, late 2009, Patrizia Gucci, again, Paolo's daughter, goes to press saying that she feels betrayed by Ridley Scott and Giannina, who met with the Guccis and promised that the movie wouldn't be, quote, scandalistic. They, they, they said it would be a, a hagiography of the Guccis. And now they're, they're going for scandal. Oh, Ridley, what are you doing? <laughs> so we, I want to, when is, when, what, what time is this right now? Where are we at? In the production right now, we we are in late two thousand nine. Oh dear God! <laughs> <laughs> and things are on track. We have a producer. We have a writer. We have rumors of a cast. Then, in mid two thousand ten, John Spates hands in his script for Prometheus, which Ridley has already signed on to direct. So Gucci gets put on the back burner again. <laughs> Ridley, stay focused. <laughs> he can't stop. The grind does not stop. It, it, he doesn't. And Prometheus has like a, a famously lengthy production process. Mm-hmm. So it's a good couple of years. And at the same time, Ridley is also attached to direct adaptations of The Passage, Brave New World, Monopoly. No, no, you can't just skip that. Wait, no, no, no. Monopoly? <laughs> the board game. <laughs> the board game. He was going to make, I believe it was described as a comedy uh, based on the board game Monopoly. <laughs> I would, I would have been entirely okay of putting House of Gucci off another decade if we got a Monopoly movie. Jared Leto as the Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd watch it. I'd watch it. Sure. And he's also, by the way, for, for a brief moment at the same time in 2010, he is attached to direct uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh my God. He's, <laughs> he can't stay focused. Constantly. He's always got, if you go to, there's a Wikipedia page for Ridley Scott's unrealized projects and especially the section for the tens, it just goes on forever. (laughs) I wonder what's longer, his his unfinished projects or Del Toro's unfinished projects? Sure, sure. Definitely, they're they're definitely fighting each other out, but. Absolutely. Okay, so he he doesn't make this Monopoly movie, unfortunately. Yeah, Del Toro got a head start with the Oscars though. Um, The next week here (laughs) is in, in late 2011, Ridley Scott has three projects lined up after Prometheus. A Gertrude Bell biopic starring Angelina Jolie. The sequel to Blade Runner, which of course does uh, come to pass. And the Gucci movie, which is rumored to star Natalie Portman. Um, a casting choice. That's, um, yeah. I, I do not see that. I really don't. I really don't see the this face there. I could see Jolie. Yeah, Portman was really good in Jackie, and I think that's as close as you get to this kind of role from her, but I really don't. Yeah. I really don't see it going much further than that. Yeah, like Angela Angelina Jolie, I can see her in that in that role, Patricia. Natalie Portman. 
No. <laughs> it's tough. I guess this was the the Black Swan era, so maybe uh, there's an idea of bringing some of that. I mean, it didn't happen. So what happens next? <laughs> so what happens next? Yeah, he's got these three projects lined up, and then fuck all that because in January <laughs> of 2012, Cormac McCarthy sells his first script ever to uh, 20th Century Fox, and within a month, Ridley Scott's on board to direct. <laughs> So that project, The Counselor, becomes his follow-up to Prometheus. Okay, Ridley. He's already talking about following that film up with a movie about Moses. And shortly thereafter, he hands directing responsibilities for Gucci off to his daughter, Jordan Scott. So now Jordan Scott is directing, is directing the Gucci movie, which doesn't have a name yet. And Penelope Cruz is circling the role of Patrizia. <laughs> so this is like a thing where every single living woman in Hollywood has been offered this part at some point, right? I'm assuming they got to Dame, Dame Judi Dench at some point. For sure, for sure. <sighs> so the thing is, that's about it for Jordan Scott. And like the year before this, she put out Cracks, which was like her first movie. But it seems like pretty shortly after she was attached to this, she like stopped making movies. So, so like there might have been something about the process for this that turned her off or maybe studios weren't interested anymore when Ridley Scott wasn't on it. So like yeah. she steps away from Hollywood. This um, project is pretty much off the table for a while. It's considered dormant. Ridley Scott does the Exodus movie, gets kind of smashed for it, comes back in a big way with The Martian the next year. And in 2016, Annapurna comes into the picture. So Annapurna was founded by producer Megan Ellison after she gained notoriety for producing True Grit. It became a space for art house films and dramas that were increasingly being neglected by the major studios. They made strong plays right out of the gate with The Master and Zero Dark Thirty and Killing Them Softly and then Spring Breakers, Her, American Hustle, the list goes on. They're poaching executives from major studios. They're dedicated to working with auteurs and they're reviving projects that studios abandoned. So it's no surprise that at the bottom of an extended profile in The Hollywood Reporter in 2016, it's let slip that Annapurna has revived Ridley Scott's long dormant Gucci family project with Wong Kar Wai attached to direct. So everyone's had a turn at making this movie at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Wong had just worked with Annapurna on The Grandmaster, which was very successful, you know, to date it's his most recent film. Mm -hmm. And along with this announcement, it's reported that Margot Robbie is being circled for the role of Patrizia. <laughs> oh, boy. Was this, so this is post-Wolf of Wall Street, was this post-Suicide Squad at this point? Uh, this, was, this was the same year as Suicide Squad. This was okay. probably post-Suicide Squad, yeah. Okay. No, I still can't see it. I, like... <laughs> I love it. Especially just like, especially just like if you look at who the others are, just like yeah. Angelina Jolie, Natalie Portman, Penelope Cruz, like to get to Margot Robbie from there is such a jump. That, yeah, like I love her as Harley Quinn. I cannot see her doing this role. That's, yeah. Okay. So we're in 2016. Yeah. It's still like, that's still five years away from right now. Yep. Uh, but nothing really materializes from that. Within a year, Wong has moved away from the project. It's back on the cutting room floor. 2018 is the key year here where things start to turn around because this is the year that the assassination of Gianni Versace is the big limited mm. series hit of the year. This is the year that Lady Gaga has her breakout role in A Star is Born. 
Yes. And this is the year that, well, well, actually 2017 is when Ridley Scott does all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. But like all these things sort of come together. Everything's coming up Ridley. Everything is coming up Ridley. Interest is building in reviving the Gucci project. The planets have aligned. In November of 2019, we, we don't hear anything between the Wong Kar Wai announcement and now, but pre-production is already underway for The Last Duel, and Variety is reporting that Ridley is officially back on board to direct House of Gucci from a new script by Italian writer Roberto Bentevegna. No studio is attached yet, but Lady Gaga is already on board to star. Okay. The, the, this is the point where it all comes together. Gaga and Scott first collaborated on uh, an advertisement in 2012, In April of 2020, as the film industry is being mired by the early stages of the pandemic, MGM acquires the film, quickly setting it up for a release date of November 24th, 2021. At this point, MGM and Annapurna have a joint distribution deal, which is interesting. But part of the package that leads to MGM acquiring the film is the promise that it will get a theatrical release. In August of 2020, the full ensemble is announced, including Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro. What? (laughs) (laughs) So Al Pacino and Robert De Niro had obviously just reunited on The Irishman, and the announcement is that um, they're coming back together once again for House of Gucci. In December, it's announced that Jeremy Irons was joining the cast. While it wasn't Mm. initially clear, it was later learned that he was replacing Robert De Niro. We don't know what happened to Robert De Niro in that project, but he he stepped away from it. Okay. Dear God. The film wrapped shooting in May of this year. First trailer was released during the 2021 Summer Olympics. It released as expected on November 24th. And one week later, it's the most successful drama of the post-pandemic era. Despite substantial Oscar buzz, particularly for Lady Gaga, the film was met with a mixed response from critics, audiences, and the people portrayed in it. It holds a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes with criticism for its total juggling act, I guess. <laughs> Patrizia Reggiani, not Patrizia mm-hmm. Gucci, initially approved of Gaga's casting, but said she was disappointed that she never met with her. Gaga says this was an intentional decision because she didn't want it to be a, an impression. Patrizia Gucci, not Patrizia Reggiani, was upset over the portrayal of her father. And Tom Ford felt that the film made light of, uh, of, of a serious and devastating story. The other interesting thing that I want to make note of before we get into it is that mm-hmm. Giannina was a key role in keeping keeping interest in this film up throughout its incarnations. But it's also been reported that Gucci the company has been invested in this movie from the get-go. You know, Tom Ford leaves the company in 04. Some say they've never recovered from that. But, but as early as 2005, when this project was starting to gestate, they are invested in this idea of doing a Gucci movie. So it's something to note that for the entire 20 year process of this movie, the Gucci company has been on board and the Gucci family very vocally has not. Yeah, that sounds right. This, um, this is a very chaotic history lesson. <laughs> Sure is. Dear God. Holy shit. So getting into the film. Where where do we start? (laughs) Where do we start? Can can we address the um, the Jared Leto in the room? We we can talk briefly about Jared Leto. I think we are going to like go through the sequence of events, but we can just to kick us off here. Boy, oh boy. (laughs) He's really going for it. 
Paolo, he is, he's, uh... he's doing what I want Chris Pratt to do as Mario. That level <laughs> of Italian, just dear God, that was performance. That's all I'll say on it yeah. for now, but my God. Yeah, I think Leto and there are a lot of very unpredictable actors in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Leto and Gaga and Pacino and Driver too, I think, are, are you know, some real volatile uh, kind of forces. And they're, the lines that they're given and the way that they're delivering those lines, it's like, it, it, it seems to build as the movie goes on. Yeah. I th- the thing with the Leto performance, I think in a way he's the only one who's giving like what the movie really needs to give. No, I entirely agree. He's giving the movie the performance <laughs> it deserves. But I, I think there's a couple ways. I think it could be balanced out if the world was a little more defined. This is, you know, talking more generally, but I think that the scenery and the camera choices are kind of flat in a way that, um, you know, if this were like the, uh, if this were like Bram Stoker's Dracula and everything was so outlandish and, and yeah. you know, otherworldly, like, like I, th- there's a way I think to square that with these kind of performances and like really build out mm-hmm. a, a very thorough, uh, you know, campy like soap opera type of uh, yeah. thing here. I think there are a lot of things that this movie does right in that regard, but I feel that, um, if you if you want to get that camp with this world, you need people at Leto's level. Yeah. And if you want there to be like a consistency throughout the camp, because there is a level that everyone else is at. And if you want Leto at that level, it's see, I think what Ridley did is just tell everyone to go nuts. But if you want camp from Leto, you have to tell him it's a regular movie <laughs> and have everyone else go nuts. <laughs> yeah. I had I wondering, like as I was in the theater, was that camp or was that just shit? I can't tell because <laughs> there can be such a fine line between the two. There really can. But yeah, everyone's performances in this movie. None of them, I think, thought they were in the same film as everyone else. I think everyone was acting like they were in a slightly different film. And I also a little think, bit, yeah. I think Ridley Scott forgot to tell Jeremy Irons he was Italian. He slips yeah. up with that accent <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I think the thing the I saw a tweet about this, but I think the thing with Jeremy Irons is that he he has the movie that he thinks it is, and then he shares a scene with Jared Leto, and he's like, "Oh, it's this kind of movie," and then like he dies a couple scenes later, but in those last yeah. couple of moments, he's he, he finally gets it. <laughs> My personal idea is Rudolph didn't die back then. He saw Jared Leto's makeup and turned to Ridley and said, "You need to kill me off. I can't be in more of this." <laughs> Maybe there was a good reason Robert Nero walked. <laughs> so the movie opens. I don't actually remember what the like very opening of the movie was. Neither do I. <laughs> the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie are like eight hours apart. I can't remember most of it <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah, the thing I do remember is the scene of Gaga. This is like the first establishing thing is that Gaga uh, Patrizia is working at her father's like trucking company, and she yes. you know gets out of the car and they're the you know whistling at her or whatever. I think there was a thing before that that was just the monologue uh, that that she does over like establishing. Maybe, maybe there's like an establishing thing of Maurizio before that, but yeah, like, there's there's a little bit. Before oh that, yeah, so. it's like the yeah. I remember. I remember now. It's like the. It's like a little montage of like the things we see Maurizio doing at the end before he gets shot. And like the last shot is Mr. Gucci and he pulls out the gun and then bam, title. Mr. Gucci. Lady Gaga. Hey, House of Gucci. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, House of Gucci 2021 directed by Ridley Scott. Hey, directed by Ridley Scott. (laughs) His full legal name. 
Patrizia Reggiani is an office manager at her father's company, and she's, um, you know, she's kind of glamorous and sort of removed from removed from that world, but obviously she's a part of it. She's very good at forging uh, her father's signature. That's one of her specialties. Mm-hmm. Comes important later on. And, oh, I um, just realized. <laughs> just hitting me. Okay, continue, continue. <laughs> Sort of an implication there, yeah. She's invited. I also don't remember how she was invited to the party, but she's invited to a party. And, her friend uh, just calls uh, her and says, "Like, hey, party." It doesn't matter. She's at this. She's at this party. She's at this high class party with some yeah. some you know fashion event, and she's dressed to the nines. She has a meet cute mm-hmm. with Maurizio Gucci, Adam Driver, who's just behind a. He's just behind this bar for like no. <laughs> yeah. He's just there. <laughs> it's like that at a party sometimes where like. He's <laughs> just there. But, and he's like, oh, no, I'm yeah. not the bartender. I'll, I guess I'll make you a drink. Ooh. Yeah, they have this meet cute. They dance together and Maurizio doesn't want to, but uh, but they do it. Maurizio mm-hmm. is a law student heir to 50 percent of the Gucci fortune through his father, Rodolfo, played by Jeremy Irons. And uh, after this night, Patrizia, one thing that I felt pretty early on in this movie, and even before I went into it, is that it is kind of a Muppet movie. It is. I saw your tweet about that. It is a Muppet movie. And I, I, I kind of think that the elements of like camp and drama that people are like, they don't really come together, uh, some mm-hmm. people say. I think that if you put it through that lens of a Muppet movie, <laughs> like... That's the missing link. The it, felt it makes puppets more are a missing link. But, okay, this is my question for you. So, you know, the role of movies, you have to have like, at least like one human member of the cast. Who would you keep as the human? Who would I keep as the human? I think that... Um... Well, obviously, obviously, Patrizia and Maurizio are, are Kermit and Peggy. Like, that's Clearly. out of the question already. I definitely think that uh, Paolo is Gonzo and Aldo mm-hmm. is Fozzie. Uh, Jeremy Irons could definitely be your human, but... I was also... thinking keep Pacino. I was thinking keep, keep Pacino. Pacino and make um, Rodolfo um, Uncle Deadly, the weird, like, dragon guy. Uncle Dudley could be a good, a good Rodolfo as you, well. You see it, yeah. I think you could have the main five B Muppets and everyone else. Well, I guess you need Salma Hayek to be a Muppet too, but, um, or Salma Hayek. Actually, no, never Muppet, mind. That makes sense. Keep Salma Hayek. That's, no, yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we got That's it. a stupid Salma question. Hayek we should have seen that. Yeah. Keep Salma Hayek. Everyone else is Muppets. And that Absolutely. should just be with all movies. That That's what they should have done for Eternals. <laughs> Make everyone that isn't Salma Hayek Eternals. No, Muppets. <laughs> Everyone's Eternals. <laughs> Everyone's Eternals That's Gucci, now. But they're all Eternals. Kingo's there. Druig's there. The whole, the whole sprite. Right. Oh, God. What a, what a picture. <laughs> so what there a are... Picture. The, the thing I wanted to say is that in that scene at the party, Adam Driver actually says that he turns into a frog at midnight. And, and as I was thinking <laughs> about this Kermit thing, and I was like, come on. <laughs> Oh, he, they know. They know. They knew been writing the script. This should be a Muppet movie. Ridley knows. They had to. Ridley knows. Ridley, Ridley knows all. He's an omnipotent being. He, he knows everything. He does. Except if he's going to win an Oscar. That's the one thing that he, that's his deal with the devil, is you'll know everything. He can predict everything not, except <laughs> the results of the Oscars. So they go to this party and then she kind of stalks him. Yeah, she does start to stalk him and set up a chance encounters with him, sort of goes through his daily routine that we saw earlier. We, they, 
it's an interesting start for this character just because the movie sort of wrestles with that question of like what motivated her to kill mm-hmm. him and i i think mostly does an okay job of making her feel pretty three-dimensional but there's um yeah. i don't know just to start off on the note of like you know if you want to talk about her maybe being after his money the way that the way that their relationship starts definitely seems to lean in that direction yeah i like i like didn't like when rudolph was saying like no she wants your money i was like yeah clearly fucking obviously but she sets up that encounter at the mm-hmm. bookstore and uh she is gives it a bookstore him... i thought it was like in a college library i guess it was it was, it was it's some they meet in the with a bunch of books they, they meet in a bookshelf yeah and um they're living on bookshelves in the hollywood hills and and patricia mm-hmm. gives Maurizio her phone number uh writes it on the on the the windshield of lipstick the... <laughs> yeah it's pretty good it's, it's smooth and uh they quickly hit it off mm-hmm. they're together they're having a great time he introduces her to his father over lunch. Rodolfo talks about how he used to be an actor. He's rocking the John Waters stash. He is. Um, Jeremy Irons said that he watched the movies that Rodolfo was in mm-hmm. and he thought that he was a terrible actor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeremy, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't speak that for energy it. there. I haven't seen those movies, but... I believe him. I, I'll take his word for it. Jeremy Irons, I can't argue yeah, with him. Knows. He knows. He knows. Patricia kind of lets slip that she's uh, not of the same, not from uh, money, not from the same cloth, mm-hmm. not from money, for, uh, not from as much money at the very least. Um, yeah. You know, her father owns a, a trucking company. Rodolfo takes her for a gold digger and forbids mm-hmm. Maurizio to see her. So in order to keep seeing her, well, they have this uh, this great argument um, where I guess Rodolfo is like watching his his movies <laughs> when 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 Maurizio comes in that is what I assume Jeremy Irons does in his home at all times so yeah wasn't I, shocking mean, I, I would watch I would watch Jeremy Irons movies if I had the performance and <laughs> in the in the in the, in the, in the, in the filmography of Jeremy Irons I would be I would do that too I don't blame him yeah I mean there's so much variety yeah but they have this uh this confrontation the two of them and it mm-hmm. ends with Rodolfo basically being like, you can't, you, you can't be a Gucci and be with her. Basically, he he shows up at Patrizia's family's door and says, <laughs> my name is Maurizio Gucci. I don't have money. Someday I'll have a lot of money. <laughs> I want to marry your daughter. And a great way to introduce yourself to your girlfriend's parents. Yeah. Hey, my dad kicked me out. Can I live in your house? Absolutely. But it works. It, yeah. It works like a fucking charm. He gets uh, a job at the at the at the trucking place, mm-hmm. and um, they they have sex in the dad's office. This was not the movie I probably should have seen with my with my mom. <laughs> I like. I feel like a lot of families went to see this movie. Oh no, definitely a lot. Of, like it's Thanksgiving. That's prime like family movie seeing time. Like yeah. came out the same week as Ghostbusters. Which way, Western man? <laughs> and mm-hmm. going to see Hasegawa like. The moment I saw Lady Gaga's ass, I'm like, okay, taking off my glasses. Oh, this is something I necessarily <laughs> want to see. I would. I think it'd be really funny if that was her like real clip for the Oscars, like if that's what they showed. <laughs> her best actress, Lady Gaga, just ass. <laughs> this is the second film Driver performed Conalingus in this year. Yep. <laughs> Good for him. 
I was I was thinking of if he did it in the last duel, and then I didn't like thinking about that scene, but uh, he didn't. Oh right, he wasn't in last, last duel. I have, I haven't seen last duel. Was it? Have you seen it? Last duel was real fucking good. <laughs> Is it? All I it's know honestly, about it. It's funny. It's funny how everyone seems to be in agreement that the last duel is a lot better than house of Gucci. And yet uh, we, we're just sort of resigned to the fact that house of Gucci is going to be like the Oscar movie. Oh no, that's going to be the Oscar movie. I think maybe Jodie Comer might get something. I hope she does. I like her. Mm. I've heard she was very good in that, but all I've heard of last duel is that Ridley Scott's going to get his knees um, destroyed by Disney for losing them money. <laughs> I think, I think Disney doesn't care about these, these movies, you know, like, like it, they don't care. Was, about, it a, was it searchlight? I actually think Last Duel might have been 20th century, but they, you know, they dumped Last Duel mm-hmm. and French Dispatch and Eyes of Tammy Faye and just like, just like all these movies they dumped out a little too early to do anything in the award circuit. It's like moving they, into they, they a, an apartment and seeing some leftover trash and saying, okay, it's going to throw it out. I don't need it. This won't do anything for me. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really the only difference the most significant difference in like how the audience response was to last duel and house of Gucci is that house of Gucci was put out by a studio that wanted it to, you know, make money. (laughs) Disney just said, okay, I don't care. Just release it sometime, I guess. Yeah. Last duel is phenomenal though. And um, the thing that I'll say about it is that Ben Affleck is so off the fucking wall. (laughs) It's, it's an incredible Ben Affleck performance. He, he's still doing things. He, I, 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 he's yeah. one of those actors that kind of forget about sometimes. This was the, the last duel was the first movie that Affleck and Damon wrote together since Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting. And they also oh, had wow. um, Nicole Holofcener doing, because it's, it's split into three perspectives. So first you get it from, you get it from the husband's perspective and then you get it from the rapist's perspective and then you get it from the woman's perspective. And Nicole Holofcener wrote that part. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I mean, it's incredible. It's a really great movie. Matt Damon. And then he was in the crypto commercial that I saw before Eternals. Goddamn. Everyone in the theater was 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 like so pissed off when, when that commercial played. When like, I, I was just wondering, Matt, what are you doing? What What is this for? And then I saw crypto and I said, what the fuck? The way that that commercial plays, you almost, it almost feels like Damon doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, he doesn't. I don't even think... I don't think he understands what cryptocurrency is. I think he was offered a large sum of money, read the script, and then left the studio promptly. Yeah, like they had to trick him into doing it. <laughs> I see a lot of actors nowadays, you can just see the director holding their check off, like right behind the camera. You can just see it, like a, mm-hmm. like a carrot and a stick. So Patricia and Mauricio marry. Yes. And they attract the attention of Rodolfo's brother, Aldo, Al Pacino. We love to see him. Aldo. The scene where Aldo and Rodolfo meet, that's the Mm. best part of his movie because it's just Jeremy Irons' outfit is amazing. It's it's the best part of the film because it's just them. I don't have anything else to say about it. It's just them. They're, They're, yeah, they're chilling. Yeah, it, it's a great, it always makes for great scenes when you have two characters who are pretty old and have known each other forever and are just sort of like reuniting and they, 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 they just know what the other person's going to say. I, I mean, now knowing that it was De Niro that was supposed to be it, that was supposed to be Rodolfo, that is very interesting. Yeah. It would have made that scene definitely a lot cooler, yeah. I think Irons uh, does something unique for the performance. And I feel like, I, I don't know what De Niro, I don't think De Niro can do camp that well. Like I think of De Niro in like, um, 
I mean, I guess Rocky and Bullwinkle is, is, is <laughs> about as good an example as I could get. I just think that De Niro is a very like consummate actor, and it's like so is Jeremy Irons, yeah. but like at, at least but Jeremy Irons is out of place enough that when you put him in this movie, it does something. Yeah. I, I feel like De Niro is a little too too in the world and too like straight up with it to really bring that much to it. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked with De Niro. Yeah, but this scene would have been really good with him. It would have been cool. I, I don't know if the film necessarily works with Irons either, but it definitely would have been different. Uh, Aldo invites Patrizia and Maurizio to the countryside, takes them under his wing, particularly after learning that Patrizia is pregnant. Mm. And um, while they're out in the countryside, Patrizia meets Aldo's son, no. Paolo. First we get the Aldo, then we get the Paolo. Paolo! It's chic. So our, our mutual friend, Alex, um, he texted me after I got out of the movie and he said, he asked me one question. How is Jared Leto? And my response was, I should be allowed to hunt Jared Leto for sport. Hmm. This is m- my favorite performance of Leto I've seen in a while, I would say. I will start off by saying this. I hate Jared Leto. I think this is sure. the most entertaining. This is the best performance I've seen from him. Given I really have only other, I've only seen Joker. I, I I don't watch that many movies with him in it because I don't like him. So I've really only seen him as Joker and Suicide Squad, and I guess um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and bad Paolo, bad, different kind of bad though. I, I honestly I think about the rest of his filmography, and I actually think this probably is my favorite Jared Leto performance too. Because <laughs> he just like, goes just, all fucking in. He goes all in. He's he completely realizes this character. And there are a lot of moments where I think he sort of crosses a point of acting into, it's like a ritual. It's like he's <laughs> he's sort of convulsing at, I, at certain moments in this performance. I do enjoy performances when the actor just becomes a full fucking Looney Tune. I really do. Yeah. And I think that's what happened here. He just, there's so much to say about Paulo. <laughs> There's a lot to say. I would say that if I was if I was casting this role, I would cast, I mean, I would cast Stanley Tucci. I was gonna say that I would cast someone who is is actually bald and actually fat and like and like not do do all this prosthetic. You don't have any people like that in Hollywood. But I was also just thinking of bald actors and I was like, oh Stanley Tucci, obviously. But <laughs> well, no, no, no. Danny DeVito on stilts. I mean, DeVito's probably DeVito's probably the same age as Pacino is the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's fine. You can make Jay, you can you can make Leto look like that. You can make Devito look young, or at very least, just put him in the penguin makeup and not acknowledge it. Man, what a weird <laughs> fucking <laughs> choice to put him in. There's a certain element of like you can see Ridley with this movie kind of going for all the Oscar angles. Oh, and definitely. Like, one of them is just have Lady Gaga. One of them is you know have have this sort of one of the few like new a-list actors that there's Mm -hmm. that there's been in recent memory just have him give like a real sturdy layered performance one of them is just have like a a legacy actor and al pacino Mm -hmm. and jeremy irons one of them is to do christian bale in vice and um just i'm trying to think of (laughs) coat leto in as much latex as the budget allows just dip him in there smack him with a bald cap voila the transformational performance i really thought it was funny 
I, I hate to say this, but I really did think it was funny when Leto was talking about how he was, um, how he was like mainlining uh, Arabiata sauce for this role, and he was, <laughs> and his blood type was my Parmesan. blood was olive oil. <laughs> it was my skin was Parmesan. <laughs> It's a, it's a good bit. It's a good bit. <laughs> Dear God. But um, as much as I'm sort of speaking glowingly about it in a way, there are times where this performance is a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I I think it kind of works in the moments where uh, Paolo is really desperate and down and he's like angry at Patrizia and Maurizio. And there are moments where it's like, okay, now I kind of see this as a person in a way. But there are also moments, I think in this scene, especially where he's so, he's so indulgent in every line and everything that it, it you know, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't even feel like he's playing a character, let alone that he's playing a person. It's simultaneously the best and worst part of the film. It, it, it lives in this weird gray zone. Up to this point in the film, it could be like uh, an extended Lady Gaga music video. And Jared Leto's yeah. the one who's like, now this is what the movie is. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's their turning point there. I remember my mom, like she looked over to me, like I think it was during the massage scene with um, Aldo. And she was like, did they cast him for like, like a comedy thing? And I was like, no, no, no. They casted Jared Leto. And a few scenes later, she was like, oh, okay, I get it. The scene where Aldo's just getting his ass kicked in like the rugby game. I think, <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's funny to cast Jared Leto in this role. I see, I see the, the humor in that decision for sure. If I were to cast Jared Leto anything, I would, you know, cast him as someone who gets his ass kicked constantly. I think that would be what I would do. Yeah. Because it'd be fun. And you know, he would commit to it method acting by getting his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Aldo invites Patrizia and Maurizio to New York and he mm-hmm. brings them back into the fold of the business. Yes. Rodolfo attempts to make a similar alliance with Paolo, mm-hmm. but he sees his designs and he's just like, you know what? <laughs> this is one thing I agree with your dad about. <laughs> Don't show anyone this. <laughs> And then he pisses on the scarf that uh, that Rodolfo designed. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> it was a moment there when when they meet, and you start to think these are the villains now. <laughs> like the, the, yeah. this is like like Rodolfo's going to be the villain, and pa- Apollo's going to be the henchman. No. And then <laughs> the, the turn in that scene is really funny. <laughs> yeah, because it could go even further into soap opera, and it takes a different mm-hmm. spin on it. No, he just pisses on a scarf and leaves. Yep. That's cinema right there. Yeah, and then ultimately Aldo orchestrates a reconciliation between Maurizio and Rodolfo just before Rodolfo's death. Sad to see Irons go. He was kind he was fun. <laughs> yeah, he was fun and he was kind of like like I said, he was kind of getting into it in yeah. those last in that last like scene or two of him. And then he's sort of out of it for the and rest he's just of dead. It. Yeah. I mean Rodolfo died, so like there's nothing you can really do about it. Alter but... history, Ridley, just do it. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna go silly with it, there, there, there's an element of like, I mean, to introduce to introduce such a pivotal character and then kill him off, and then there's you know two and a half hours left in the movie. Like we talk about how this feels like a mini series, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the many elements where it's like, okay, we're in a completely different space now. <laughs> but like yeah. things have completely changed. Learning. Like in the history lesson, learning that it wasn't at any point a miniseries was actually shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Like I did, I didn't know the production went on that long. I thought it kind of came to conception with like the assassination of uh, Johnny Versace. Like they did, like they th- really was like, "Oh, I'm going to do that," but uh, Gucci, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. 
It wasn't Far ever. It. It's possible. It's possible they, that somewhere along the way, people saw that Ridley Scott or one car Y, I guess, was doing a Gucci movie and they were like, let's do one about Versace. You know, it could have been a mere series and, you know, it was 20 year long production. Could have been an animated short at one time. Yeah. Who's to say? The problem is that Rodolfo never signed off on his will, transferring his shares in Gucci to Maurizio. It's implied that uh, Patrizia forges his signature. Yes. And that <laughs> I did not get that until we mentioned the uh, <laughs> forging of the signature earlier <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. It's sort of a weird thing not to mention, especially in the scene later where the cops are raiding their house and you kind of don't yeah. know what it's about. Of all the things like to leave off that. the table, I think I, I think there are things that would make more sense than that that key plot element there. Like I figured out that like I, I could put two and two together. It was her that forged it, but I didn't get the connection until just now. <laughs> oh yeah, she forged signature. Ah, it, it's foreshadowing. So Patrizia complains about the pro- proliferation of bootleg Gucci products, and Aldo explains that it's part of the business model and part of the reason that Gucci is so relevant today is because people make bootleg products. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a man's business. It's, it's not for, it's not for women folk like her. He does also say that. He doesn't like that. <laughs> no, no, she doesn't. No, she's not a fan. She starts consulting with uh, her psychic, Gina, played by Salma Hayek. Alma. Is she giving it Italian? <laughs> is she doing Italian in it? Was her, was she supposed to be Italian? <laughs> hey, what, was she? I mean, I guess it makes sense she was supposed to be, but... The person, I, I think, is Italian, yeah. Is, okay, the actual peanut's Italian. Well, no, she wasn't yeah. then. She, uh, <laughs> I think maybe it might be just that her own accent is very strong, so maybe she was trying in Italian and just didn't come through. Like, maybe it was kind of like yeah. what Irons had, where his own British accent was trying to colonize the Italian accent, but. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. She's definitely doing an accent, I think. Like she's, she, she's sort of doing something a little different. Yeah, no, it's very, it's clearly not like normal, some like accent. It's, it's like something that's different. Not entirely sure what she's changed, but she's changed something. There was a line in uh, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which was another Sama Hayek film, uh, from this year that is a god tier piece of cinema <laughs> i will defend those two movies with my bare hands until my soul leave this mortal coil i liked it <laughs> I, I i didn't i didn't dislike it at all a, a, truly a picture but the the thing that i was thinking about there's a line in that movie where sama hayek is pretending to she might even be pretending to be italian and like Ryan Reynolds has a one-off line about like, like, you know, how ridiculous it is for someone to believe that mm-hmm. Salma Hayek is Italian, but Antonio Banderas is playing a Greek character in that movie. <laughs> and that's just supposed to be fine. <laughs> Antonio Banderas. Yeah, sure. Why not? He can be Greek, but sure. It's a good movie. I love that movie. It's, it was fun. It was. It's, it's fun. That's time. what I look for in those kinds of films. It's fun. Uh, Patrizia begins to hatch a plan to take over the company by acquiring Aldo and Paolo's shares. She persuades Maurizio to start to take on a more active role in the company and meets with Paolo, who is feeling silenced by his father. Mm-hmm. He sort of lets slip that he's got some intel about Aldo doing tax fraud. A little bit of minor tax fraud. 
just, a, just a little financial crime in there but he's mm-hmm. like he's like well well we're not going to we're not going to really send him to jail right we're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna intimidate him and she's like of course of course that's gonna happen right yeah and, and so they they persuade uh <laughs> they, they persuade him to uh give him the information in exchange for the ability mm-hmm. to produce his own gucci lines have his own gucci shows <laughs> what are your thoughts on on gaga's accent in this i don't think it's horrible i think it's yeah very interesting i think it's very fun yeah it's quite fully formed i think it feels like people say that like everyone <laughs> i mean yeah everyone in the movie kind of does have a different accent Oh, yeah. um, but I think I think that uh, people say it sounds Russian. I think it, I heard that. if you put her in, if you put her in like a Russian movie, it would make sense. But I feel like it, I don't know. It didn't feel out of place to me. I thought it. It, it wasn't like well. Yeah, it wasn't horrible. The more that I think about it, it does sound it does sound a little Russian. It does sound like David Harbor and Black Widow a little. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I think it's it, it's fun. It's it, 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 it's the character. Yeah, and she's a very fully formed character. Yeah. So unbeknownst to Paolo, Patrizia and Maurizio let that evidence out, and Aldo is arrested by the IRS. I love when they, like, put the, like, the badge against the glass window, and Paolo, like, Al- Aldo's just, like, laying on the ground, like a racquetball court. He's like, me? <laughs> Looks out like fucking Scooby-Doo, like, Whoop. Pretty great. Paolo's fashion show is set upon by the Italian police who've been told by Patrizia that he's unlawfully using the Gucci copyright. Listen, I would wear some of those outfits. Yeah. But like, like, you know, Paolo's collection, I see how it doesn't fit into the Gucci brand oh, at entirely. all. But, but it's good stuff. Like, there's something there. <laughs> I, can see, I can see that being a big thing in, in now. Like, I can see people wearing that. Absolutely. And yet I think about even some of the even like the Tom Ford pieces that Gucci's putting out at the end of the movie, it's like, this isn't, you know, you're approaching what Paolo is doing, which you clowned on. It was like B-tier, maybe C-tier, like Met Gala outfits. Just yeah. kind of, definitely not like Gucci as they were like back then, but yeah, it's nice. It's fine. Yeah, there's there's inspiration to it. Yeah, Jeremy Irons didn't be so mean about it. He was He was trying things out. We like to see there are definitely moments in this movie where you feel bad for Paolo, but it's also it's never not fun to see him fail. <laughs> yeah. Paolo comes up to Patrizia and Maurizio in a huff. And, <laughs> and it's they, a me, Paolo. You fucked to me. <laughs> they tried to persuade a desperate Paolo to sell his shares. Mm-hmm. He says no deal. And he uh, storms off, cuts his ties to the brand. That was a good scene. I like that scene. I thought it was fun. Yeah, that was good. I think it was decently well acted. I just, every line out of Apollo was just so goofy. <laughs> Hard to take it seriously, but I think it, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. The police descend upon Patrizia and Maurizio's uh, lavish house. I guess it's in the Swiss, mm-hmm. uh, you know, countryside, whatever. And um, yeah. They, 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 they've been caught for forging Rodolfo's signature. Maurizio runs off to uh, to a ski uh, lodge, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Patrizia shows up, tries to kind of talk to the cops and get them on the same page. She's taken to the uh, ski place as well. And this mm-hmm. is where we are introduced to 
Paola, uh, Maurizio's long-term friend. Friend. Mm-hmm. Just friends. Yeah. Just friends. Patri- Patrizia is immediately immediately skeptical of this. It's really as soon as we see Paola, we're like, oh, Patrizia's going to hate this. <laughs> and um, after an argument, Maurizio comes to see Patrizia as a negative influence on him mm-hmm. and the company. Again, a huge fight. He has her and their mm-hmm. daughter, Alessandra, sent back to Italy. Yeah. Begins an affair with Paola. They're, they're out of love. Can, can we talk about the, um, I'm not particularly an ethical person scene. Can we talk about that real quick? Because I, I saw you tweet your review and where, where, it's, where you say like, she's drinking Pepsi. I fully thought that was a joke when I first read it. And then I go into the theater and I see her being offered a tray of Pepsi. And I was like, what the fuck? She is drinking Pepsi in the I scene. thought it was a joke. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's clear, that's clearly uh, that's clearly a joke Rocky's put there. No, no, it's not. She drank Pepsi out of a teacup in that film. She did during that during that pivotal trailer scene. Great scene, great delivery, uh, great line, honestly, just from a oh, no, perspective. Yeah. But um, she's menacingly sipping Pepsi. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I sort of picture like just. The European, you know, 20th century, like high class culture, and how j- just how Pepsi could could be taken on as like uh, as like a high class drink, or maybe it's meant mm-hmm. to be that Patrizia obviously comes from a lower class background. Yeah, she still has her roots. Who, despite all these lavish things, she's still gonna order a Pepsi at the ski lodge. She actually drank Pepsi. I really thought it was a joke. And I saw that and I like broke. That's great. Why are you laughing at this? And like, it's it's nothing, Mark. Go back to watching the movie. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Maurizio's business plans are starting to damage the company. Mm -hmm. And he makes a deal with the investment firm InvestCorp to stay afloat. He offers them uh, some some one-of-a-kind Gucci shoes from from the Mets collection. He uses this uh, deal to acquire, first he acquires Paolo's shares. Mm-hmm. And then Aldo gets out of prison and he visits Paolo. <laughs> I was so happy when I saw Pacino return. I, I was so happy to so see him. Great. So great to see him. And he and the, just this real, the thing with Aldo and Paolo, they never do really feel like father and son, but they they have a certain banter about him. I really didn't realize they were supposed to be father and son. <laughs> Not until like I realized, oh, that's the idiot son. Oh, really? It's like nothing about like him and Mauricio feel like screams cousins at all. So like I wouldn't, I didn't realize. Yeah, Aldo and Paolo feel more like the like the wet bandits from Home Alone. They just they're sort of <laughs> Stafford and Waldorf from the Muppets. I would say that they're like, you know, I was talking about how they were sort of maybe setting up Irons and um, Leto as a villain pair. Mm-hmm. Even though Aldo and Paolo aren't explicitly villains, I mean, I guess Maurizio and Patrizia are really the villains. But um, oh yeah, they 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 have that dynamic of like the silly villains. Yeah, in a kids movie where there's there's like the big bad villain, but then there's like this you, you know the the pair that's sort of scheming, yeah. and they you know they have that energy about them. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of fun. I think I did laugh uh, quite a bit at, at this scene of uh, Paolo sort of <laughs> admitting to Aldo that he sold his shares, and and Aldo Aldo's freaking out about it. Classic Pacino, just Great fucking. Stuff. What do you mean you sold it? <laughs> There, we also get the scene of uh, 
Maurizio. Well, well, Aldo comes to this meeting with Investcorp about buying his mm-hmm. shares. And uh, he picks up on the fact that the Investcorp guy is wearing a shoe that yeah. he could not have bought in a store. And he's like, what's really going on here? And it turns out Maurizio is like on the other side of the door. Standing like a villain waiting to be revealed. He just sort of peeks out and he's like, uh, hey. <laughs> I, I, I guess seeing Maurizio there, he's like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll sell my shares. Are you happy now? And he's like, yeah. I don't even remember where the movie goes from here on out. Like this last third act when it was just like talking about, okay, this is what happened next and this and this and this. I like stop paying attention. I was just wondering, okay, when is he getting shot? Yeah, well, uh, Patrizia is served divorce papers mm-hmm. by Dominic, uh, Maurizio's sort of messenger. After that, there's, uh, it probably comes a little later, but there's the scene where Patrizia, like, is sort of paralleling, you know, her like following him around earlier in the movie. We get this scene of Patrizia like coming up to him in the rain and yeah. Just, I, look, I, I, made, like, I made you this, this photo album. He, yeah, he, she comes up to him. She attempts sort of a reconciliation. He wants nothing to do with it. She's like, I didn't know I married a monster. And he says, you didn't. You married a Gucci. A goofy line for sure. Feels like something, I don't I don't know if they put that in the trailers, but it feels like something that was made for a trailer. In a way, I think that that's a line that you could have a lot of gravitas in, but there's mm-hmm. a certain Adam Driverness about the way that it ends up being delivered that I think uh, makes Adam it Driver plus like that, this is like the very stiff way like Murcio just like is, like it kind of just nullifies the intensity of the line a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a meaningful line, but I think that um, it's interesting how Ridley so knew what he was doing in getting Adam Driver in that role, just because there there are mm-hmm. so many lines that Maurizio has that like Maurizio would be a nothing character coming from a lot of actors, but there's when you add yeah. Adam Driverness to the character, like the it, it becomes something, mm-hmm. and I think that's true of a lot of people. Sort of, I think Paolo, like you you put like a a regular guy as Paolo, you're probably not going to get yeah much out of it. Don't make me think about Paolo. He haunts my nightmares like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Maurizio plans a massive Gucci rebrand. He quotes designers from across the fashion world. Can't get a hold of any of them. The only one who's answering his calls is Tom Ford, who earlier told him at a Versace show that no one in this room would ever work for Gucci. And then, of course, he himself. Oh, that was him. Uh... <laughs> I, 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 I know as much about fashion as I do about music. So when they were like looking for the new designer, I was like, okay, who are fashion people I know? Is it going to be Calvin Klein? Is it going to be Tom Ford? Those are the two people I know. <laughs> so it was just a coin flip. So they, they get Tom Ford on board. They do all these photo shoots. They do a show of Ford's line. It's met with rave reviews, but Maurizio's money management is so poor that InvestCorp tries to buy him out of the company. He doesn't like that. He, he throws some meat. He does not like that. He does throw some meat. He's he's pretty upset. And, you know, they, they, they're having dinner and Tom Ford's there. And then they're like, hey, Tom, can you, can you scurry off for a little bit? We, got, <laughs> we have some business to discuss. Fuck off. And Tom's just waiting out in the hallway. Like when Maurizio storms out, he's there. And he's like, oh. <laughs> so meanwhile... Patrizia and Pina have gotten into contact with a pair of hitmen yes. in the Sicilian Mafia. A really fun sort of turn of events 
to, to come at this point in the movie, I think. I was so kind of delighted just when we, you know, like, like we've had these uh, Patrizia and Pina scenes and they're they're fun, but mm-hmm. just like when they're meeting out in this cafe and you're like, what's going on here? And when you realize that they're hitmen, it's like, oh. <laughs> I wish there was more Pina in this movie. I like, I, I do, I really love Salma Hayek. So I, I wish there's more of her many things, especially Eternals. Um, I, I am glad for the scenes we got because she is great in them. Yeah, I think she's used really well in this movie and mm-hmm. she um, brings the right vibes for this, like, for this psychic character who's sort of, yeah. who's sort of tempting Patrizia to the dark side a little. <laughs> Who thinks she's doing the right thing, of course. Mm-hmm. Or does she? Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Maurizio uh, is out on his morning commute. He is shot to death in broad daylight and uh, left on the left on the stairs of the Gucci building or what have you. And when Patrizia is on trial for his murder, she refuses to answer to anything other than Mrs. Gucci. I know this is, I know it's definitely not accurate to how he was probably killed, but I really was just hoping for just like a big. It's probably the inner horror fan in me. I was so was hoping for like just some big blood splatter. I didn't get any of that. I was hoping for it. It would it would have made sense, I think, just in that you know, I mean, having him just you know on the steps in broad daylight, like th- that being the way that he died, like they you know they could have just had some some real watchmeny like uh, <laughs> you know very high contrast blood. Yeah, some, some nice Zack Snyder slow mo. Would have been good stuff. I think Zack Snyder could have done wonders with this movie, but he wouldn't have. He would have gotten it in a certain way, but not in the way that Ridley gets it. God, you know, I think the Zack Snyder movie would have an entirely different cast, except Leto. Leto would still be there in either version. Who? Yeah, who I think would, Snyder. Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot would be cast for. I don't know. I could see Snyder going for. Um, I don't know because I think of who's in. I could see him wanting Lady Gaga. I could see that coming together, but I feel like. I hate to just point to people who have been in his other movies, but I do feel like the Margot Robbie angle. Oh God, yeah, goes a little better with with Snyder. Mm-hmm. No, I see. I I definitely see that. I think Zack Snyder's House of Gucci would be. Um, you know, he would title it like that: Zack Snyder's House of Gucci. I, I I've been saying that I want to see Zack Snyder do like a drama, like like that is kind of what I want to see from him at this point. But I think I want to see um, Zack Snyder not do things. <laughs> I exist like on comic Twitter, so I'm. His name brings up flashbacks for me. <laughs> Release the Snatter cut. It's just ingrained into my brain and it will never leave me. It, <laughs> it fucking worked. And now they're trying to do it with like Suicide Squad and it makes me want to explode. It's not gonna, it, like, like there's no, I, I mean, I think this is what Leto said that like, there's no reason for them not to put it out. But like <laughs> with, with Zack Snyder, you know, I just think that there's nothing, like, what do you think that David Ayer what do you think David Ayer's vision for would Suicide Squad is gonna like? I what think it would probably be worse. Yeah, like I think I I can agree that Snyder's version was like twenty times better than the Whedon version. That said, David Ayer's version is still going to be made and directed by David Ayer, did who made the first one, so it's still going to be bad. I think I the more that I think about it, I actually think Zack Snyder's House of Gucci would have been very similar to <laughs> to what this movie is. Probably. I think I think Ridley Scott has an idea of camp, and I think Zack Snyder has an idea of like his style, which at times approaches camp, but is I don't think he ever approaches camp on purpose. Yeah, I, I don't think he's looking camp in the eye, as they say. No. <laughs> he's, 
he, if he ever goes into the campus territory, it's never on purpose. He stumbles in there blindly. Yeah, except to the extent that, like, his idea of what an action movie is, is, like, the most heightened and most, yeah. like, like, like ideas of masculinity and femininity are always to the, like, like, like everything's to the extreme in, in, his ver- in his vision of action. Oh, Zach. Where are we now in the plot? Pretty much at the end. The last okay. thing is the uh, the inner the inner titles that reveal the characters' fates. Yeah. Aldo died of prostate cancer in 1990. Paolo died in poverty in London. Patrizia, Pina, and the hitmen are sentenced to extended terms in prison for the murder of Maurizio. Gucci is fully acquired by InvestCorp, who successfully manage it to this day. No members of the Gucci family are a part of the Gucci company. Wah, wah. House of Gucci. House of Gucci. House of Gucci. Looking back on this... I think it was fine. I went in there with like no expectations. All I've heard was Lady Gaga was good in it. And I heard from you that she drinks Pepsi. That's it. That's all I really heard. Mm-hmm. So going in there with no expectations, I don't know what I was looking for. I don't necessarily know if I liked what I saw. I think it was, it was fine. It was fine. I'll say that. It was one of the films ever. I would say as I was watching it, I really did like it. And I, I came out of it with almost exclusively positive things to say. Mm-hmm. It's really only been, the first thing that I reflected on as I was leaving was like, they were really trying to do the Irishman in a lot of ways. And like, relative to that, I don't think they <laughs> succeeded. But... I think the first act, I really liked the first act. Mostly because I think it had the most Al Pacino and Jeremy Irons in it, which were my favorite part of the films. Mm-hmm. I do think that towards like the end when clearly towards the end where there's not as much Gaga on screen that I definitely loses me because she was like the most engaging part of the film at that point. I think Trevor did a good job in this role. This the Mauricio isn't that fun to watch. So I was just kind of, I found myself sitting there just like, yeah, okay. What's Patricia up to? Is she doing another mud bath? Can we go see the mud bath scene again? I could see watching this movie again, if that was something that I intended to do. And focusing on Maurizio and just like laughing hysterically the entire time. I can see there being so much to Maurizio that you just don't pick up on the first time. The same way that like, I feel this way about, we're getting, I'm going to get into fucking comic book movies again, which I I don't Don't apologize. That's my zone. (laughs) I felt that way. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is my favorite MCU movie. And I watched it on uh, like, like the third or fourth time I watched it. I started to just pay attention to Ronan and I was like, this is the funniest character in the MCU. Lee Pace, man. He was in that movie. He, he's so, <laughs> everything is so heightened with him. And the first time you watch it, you're like trying to, you're like, he's doing kind of a Darth Vader thing and you're trying to like pay attention to it. But like when, when you just, when you just put him into the perspective of everything else, he's hilarious. Yeah. I can see that happening coming back around to Maurizio. I can, I, I almost feel as this, like this film might be like a watch every Thanksgiving kind of film. I feel like it might reach that level. Like something you put that. on the background while you argue with your relatives over politics. Something that's playing while you're trying to get your kids to shut up. Yeah, I can see it doing well on TV and then, you know, yeah, do, doing good streaming numbers, all that. I think that... The, I mean, especially if it does well in the award circuit, I think that, um, yeah, Gaga is very good. I think, I don't think there's anyone in the cast who I thought did not uh, deliver. <laughs> um, the, I, I guess there were things that I liked throughout and it's just mm-hmm. that um, certainly the narrative is not all there. So <laughs> like it doesn't 
there's a moment where during that confrontation with Patricia and Mauricio, where mm-hmm. Mauricio says our story ended a few chapters ago, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I kind of did. Yeah, <laughs> like, did. Why you're are right. Still here? <laughs> really, why are the cameras rolling? <laughs> you could end it back in like Switzerland and just show the clip of him getting shot and end it. Yeah, you could have gone pretty directly from that to the hitmen and kind yeah. of uh, you know played it out he that didn't, way. You didn't I need think... to speed it up. Like you could have, you could have. I think the Irishman idea is probably the thing that sinks mm-hmm. this movie the most because like the, you know, the camp idea and the Gucci movie with all the Gucci products and, you know, the cast and everything, like most of the ideas here do come together, but I think adding on that idea of let's have it be this really long and elegant kind of opus that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this sort of operatic uh, structure to it. I, I, I don't think that really does it any favors. When yeah. It's so it is a silly and frivolous movie and as tom ford said it's about yeah. these these real people and these devastating circumstances but like mm-hmm. it's not set up in such a way where that runtime helps and i guess you could point to like thelma and louise and some other examples of like lighter ridley scott movies that work despite their length but i i, I just think that idea doesn't really come together here yeah there's definitely a lot of missing pieces i think definitely the biggest one is that none of them are made of felt but yeah i think i i you know i came in here with the goal of figuring out if i like the movie and i said yeah it's fun it's fine it's not like the best one i've seen all year it's definitely yeah it's 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 a time yeah i mean i was i was laughing and i was you know engaged and trying to figure out what was gonna happen like, mm-hmm. like i was entertained the entire time i was watching it and it's it, it, it could stand to be shorter and more focused and Mm -hmm. like i said i think that the world of it is a little too flat and if it was more like amadeus you know i think is a good blueprint Mm -hmm. for like a a can't be an over-the-top movie that's also really extended and operatic but it just exists in this really kind of fantastical uh world and i think that could have been a piece that would have really brought it to the next level but um, oh f murray abraham he would have been good in the irons role i would have liked to see that the idea of, of, you know, switching around the cast for this movie. You know, I let's mean, just, let's just <laughs> name all the, the old men the we can think of in Hollywood and just see who would, <laughs> who would make a better iron or Pacino. Who would work? Um, McKellen and Stewart. McKellen and Stewart doing Italian accents. Would it be good? No. Would it be fun? Yes. That's, that's the important thing. I think color is another place that this movie is lacking in certain moments. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's trying to have an aesthetic that recalls like the, the early Gucci, you know, styles. That's very like, you know, let's, I guess. The, 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 those, you know, grays and, and the browns and beiges and a very mm-hmm. sort of sturdy look, but, um, and the look of Gucci stores too, I guess. But um, yeah. I would, I would have liked to see, uh, like I said, a little more of a fanciful kind of world around it. Yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> so I guess overall, um, this is a, a movie that is worth seeing, I think. I think it's worth seeing once, just to say that you've seen this movie, this incredibly odd movie with such a storied production spanning longer than my own human lifetime this movie is older than me the, and the lesson to be learned is that it's not too early to get ben affleck that oscar oh can we talk about like who who do you think is going to get an award from this who do you think is going to get nom- nominated uh gaga for sure yeah gaga absolutely um supporting ooh. i could see pacino getting a supporting 
I think Pacino probably makes the most sense. I think there's a chance for Leto. If, if I see, if I look at the Oscar nomination, see Paolo's face, I will throw my phone across the room and lodge it into the drywall of the storm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll cry and shit and sob. It will be terrible. I'll unleash hell. It's the kind of performance that um, that gets nominated sometimes. Yeah, it is. I think this is certainly not... It could be Driver's Best. The Driver's had a lot of performances this mm-hmm. year that were very good. Um, I think it's probably a tougher field this year, but I don't think it's mm-hmm. impossible that he gets one. Do you think Ridley's going to get nominated? I'm not sure. I, I, don't think the, I don't think it's very likely. Going back to what I said earlier, I think it would be funny if he, had, he at least gets nominated, but still doesn't win. Because he he's so clearly trying. He's really he's really invested in getting that Oscar. I think, yeah, I think Gaga's definitely gonna get it. Driver. I wouldn't be shocked if Driver gets it. But you know, I'd like to see him get it because I do think Aldo was my was my, my favorite part of the movie. I think Pacino's a possibility. I think in the director race this year, there's a lot to contend with in terms of Spielberg and Kenneth Branagh and uh, Jane Campion, Denis Villeneuve, Paul Thomas Anderson. Hey, I just Spielberg's like, doing something this year? Uh, West Side Story. Oh, shit. Right. That's that's him. Yeah. I forgot about that. How did I forget that? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't like CGI out Ansel Elgort's face. I saw him in that trailer and I said, oh, they're putting him in it. <laughs> yeah. I wrote about this a little bit. Like, obviously, that scandal kind of was after they shot the movie and yeah. i think that there's probably contractual stuff in the air that prevents them from actually doing anything about him being in it yeah i thought they were gonna like ridley scott it with like um kevin spacey i mean but who would they get to replace that him for that like uh ty sheridan or something i don't know one of those can guys sing? can Ansel elgord sing like <laughs> they, I, they I can, can sing i've heard him sing He's actually really good. I've heard his I've I've heard his songs. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm he's uh, not like a terrible his singer. Music career. I can under I can understand why they cast him. Definitely um looking back on it, not a good choice, Spielberg. <laughs> but yeah, I forgot that Spielberg's in there. I think you gotta get pretty far down the list before I, I think if Ridley deserves it, it's for the last duel, and that's obviously not gonna happen. But mm-hmm. um Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Ridley. He's he's trying. He's really trying. I mean, you know, maybe this Napoleon movie will be something. Yeah, maybe. Diego, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having <laughs> on me. This, episode this has been fun. Of Fall Friction. It's been fun. Had a great talk about House of Gucci, a movie that I respect and enjoy. Um, and that's about as much as I can say about it. Movie I will observe from a different, from a very far distance. Thank you to the people who have been listening up to this point. If you enjoy the show, uh, you can share it on social media. You can support us through Substack or through a variety of other sources. Just, you know, get the word out there and I will see you next week. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.